0: picture blurfect. I'm your host Naomi Harlan Bacchus Wilkerson and I'm so glad you're listening today. I hope you're doing well. I'm also doing well. I'm currently recording this on a Sunday night so I'm experiencing the Sunday scaries which is still very much a thing. I fondly remember that growing up, you know, wishing it was Friday all over again, dreading the upcoming week, but it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this together and honestly, you know, sitting down here and recording this podcast and, and learning from all of these people It's been such a a rewarding experience so far. Um, Not only does it bring me peace and enjoyment, but I've been learning a lot um, more about myself, but more about other areas of of this world and eating disorders and, and psychology that I really haven't had a chance to dive into. And it's been so rewarding so far which leads me to my next guest. Today I'm bringing Jason Wood. Jason Wood, um, who is living in Colorado at the moment, um, he is such a terrific person. I had such a great time talking to him. It, the conversation really just flowed. Um, and he is using his story. Um, I love on his website, he says, just a guy making his mess his message. I love that. Check out his website, OrthorexiaBytes.com. It's wonderful. But Jason is using his story, this campaign, Orthorexia. Bites, which he just launched this year, um, to really tell his story and, and illustrate the harmful impacts of this eating disorder, orthorexia, which we still don't know a lot about. And I honestly didn't even really fully understand how to pronounce it until just a few weeks ago. Uh, so Jason has been doing such a great job advocating for it and speaking out about how the impacts of this eating disorder really can deteriorate your life, not only emotionally and socially, but physically as well. Um, And he's doing such a great job raising awareness about men and eating disorders because it is a thing Um, we tend to discuss tend to discriminate eating disorders and think, oh, it's just a white woman, upper-class problem, and that couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, Eating disorders do not discriminate based on skin color, your ethnicity, your sexual orientation. Um, It just doesn't get diagnosed as much, and I think that's, that's the problem, and we get into that a little bit in our interview. So I'm really, really thankful for Jason because he's just so honest and vulnerable and really willing to speak up and share his story. And you don't find that a lot in our culture nowadays, because we're just so afraid of being judged. Um, But his bravery is so inspiring. And and I hope that people listening out there will take that and and really listen to it and and feel like they, they are not alone as well. So I encourage you to check out his website and also want to give a huge preview because Jason is currently in the process of writing a book, which is coming out later this year. Super, super exciting. It's called Starving for Survival. I can't wait to read it. But it's going to account for his entire life from childhood until now to really try and understand and unpack why perhaps his eating disorder came to be. Um, And I think I bet that was such a rewarding experience for him to really like, work through that. That's probably very therapeutic. Um, And he talks a little bit about his his process of of figuring it out as as he grew up and and went through different life stages as well. So I hope you guys enjoy our conversation um, and I'll see you on the other side. right. And we're here with Jason Wood. Jason, thank you so much for joining us on Picture Blurfect. I'm so excited that you're here. I have so many questions um, and we'll dig into all of that in a little bit here. But before we get into the nitty gritty details, please tell us a little bit about yourself um, and your background.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for having me today. So uh, let's see. I'm a guy that's battling an eating disorder, which is kind of rare to hear. You don't hear many of us talking about it. So um, I had battled um, being overweight as a child and over time just kind of had that negative body image, that unhealthy relationship with food develop, And uh, eventually it got the best of me. I hit rock bottom last year. And as a result, I decided that I needed to start sharing my story. So I went ahead and I launched my blog, Orthorexia Bites, just to get my story out there so that um, other guys who are battling an eating disorder know they're not alone. Other people who are battling orthorexia know that they're not alone. So um, I've always found writing to be a very therapeutic experience for me. So that's kind of why I I fused it all together. Um, When I'm not busy writing, I'm loving the outdoors here in Denver so uh, my husband and I moved here uh, just before the pandemic started so we had a little bit of time to enjoy it before then but now that things are starting to ease up a little bit just getting out and exploring the new city that's that's keeping us busy and it's a lot of fun.
0: Oh that's amazing that sounds exactly like my situation my husband and I got married in December 2019 and then we moved into our house and then the pandemic hit so it was like okay I don't know who my neighbors are. (laughs) <laughs> and you, you like now, I'm just now starting to be able to explore out there, but we were really shut in for a while. Um, so that sounds very similar, but I'm glad that you're enjoying the outdoors too.
1: Yeah, you went through it, sounds like you went through the same thing we went through. We didn't expect, we got married in September of 2019. So we didn't expect to spend our first year and a half of marriage shut in. <laughs> So <laughs> exactly.
0: The true yeah. test of marriage. <laughs> exactly.
1: We just got thrown right to the fire. So uh, yeah, we're in the same boat with that one.
0: <laughs> exactly. And you mentioned writing and you're coming out with a book soon.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, Starving for Survival will be the name of it. And it is a memoir just chronicling my whole journey. It starts um, as a five-year-old kid just sitting in McDonald's eating a Happy Meal intuitively eating at that point, not realizing, um, not having that unhealthy relationship with food quite yet, Um, all the way through the loss of my parents throughout my teenage years and how that kind of shaped everything for me, how I went through dark times with um, financial hardships and arrest and drugs and alcohol. And and throughout all of that, the eating disorder just progressed. And um, I wanted to just share my whole story. Uh, Through the blog, I've been able to share bits and pieces here and there. But uh, with starving for survival, I just, I put it all out there and I just embraced vulnerability and I just shared every detail of my story.
0: Wow. Good for you. I can't wait to read that. That sounds, and it's so true. You mentioned everything in your life and how the eating disorder is influenced by our environment. It's just so true that like, it's not only a genetic problem, you know, there are neurobiological components and genetic components to these diseases, but our environment plays such a vital role in its development.
1: Yeah, yeah. For me, kind of clinging to the eating disorder, unbeknownst to me at the time, I didn't realize I was going through an eating disorder, but I had looked at it as almost a way to find stability amid turbulent times because that was my comfort zone. That's kind of what felt comforting to me. So it's it's very interesting now in recovery they always say hindsight's 2020 20. and looking back I can see those various connections just over yeah. the years to my situation in life where I was in life and how the eating disorder uh, was impacted by it and how it impacted my life. So it was almost a two-way relationship there for quite some time.
0: Right. No, your bravery is is so inspirational, and I just appreciate you being so vulnerable. Um, it's it's truly inspiring. Um, and so, taking a step back a little bit, you know, you're you're very outspoken about your eating disorder, but a lot of people don't know what orthorexia is, um, and it's not really well known or studied quite yet. So, could you explain what it is?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of times I have to help people pronounce it. Uh, Even my own therapist, sometimes he will be like, it's orthorexia, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's it. So (laughs) for me, I was three or four months into recovery before I discovered the term in a book that I was reading. And um, up until that point, it was just an unspecified eating disorder that I was diagnosed with. And I looked the term up and I go, oh my gosh, that's what it is, orthorexia. And it's basically just an addiction to healthy eating, an obsession with healthy, clean eating. Um, In my case, it kind of morphed from being maybe more concerned about my body image to just being as healthy as I could be when it came to eating. Um, I had a health scare when I was 29 with colorectal cancer, which is actually what had um, killed my dad, taken my dad when I was only 11. And that scare just really kind of I don't know, it just made me more determined than ever to just eat as healthy, eat as clean as I possibly could, in order to live longer. When in reality, I was killing myself by this addiction to healthy eating. It's one thing to want to have a healthy diet, but it's another thing when it starts to control every aspect of your life, and you start eliminating food groups left and right, because you no longer think they're clean, or they're pure, or they're healthy. And I think we see it a lot nowadays with bad diets that are out there, Um, Whole30 and keto, paleo, all of these diets seem to promote one set of food over another set of food. And in an orthorexic mind, they, they lose sight of that. They see just the extremes, the good or bad. There's nothing in between anymore when it comes to food.
0: Right. Exactly. And it's like you said, the dieting world is really triggering. Um, and we see, we see so many, pushes to intermittent fasting or to cut out sugar completely because it'll help your brain health and whatnot. And to the eating disorder mind, we see that and we're like, maybe I should be doing that. So I can't even imagine if that's what the eating disorder is focused on solely, whereas in anorexia, which is what I struggle with, it's mostly the fear of gaining weight. And from what I understand, that's not so much the fear in those with orthorexia.
1: Exactly, exactly. For me, I had uh, hints of that at times, I would say probably throughout my 15 years of battling an unhealthy relationship with food, there were periods where I might have skewed more towards anorexia. Mm -hmm. But my main determination, especially when the eating disorder hit its peak, was just eating healthy. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter what the number on the scale was anymore, what I looked like in the mirror. It was just about uh, looking at a piece of bread and thinking, that's going to give me cancer, or looking at organic produce and saying, that's the only thing I can eat. If I eat anything else with those pesticides or anything like that, it's surefire death. That's kind of how it started to look in my mind. So I wasn't concerned necessarily about my weight anymore. I was more concerned about what that food could possibly do to my body, how it could contaminate me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's just so fascinating. So, and you explained, you went straight into my next, um, my next question, which was, you know, it's, it's one thing to be aware and to be mindful of the nutritional content. Um, Cause that in itself is not necessarily a bad thing, but with the eating disorder, you take it to the extreme. And as you said, it starts to control control you more and then actually cause harm. So could you describe a little bit of the health repercussions that are caused by being solely focused on clean
1: eating? Yeah. So one, one instance I think of is when I was at a friend's birthday party and, uh, while, while I was examining the menu, like I always do, it was almost like a forensic scientist when I would look at a menu or plan my meals out, Um, I saw that the vegetables would probably be the only thing I could eat. Well, I lifted the cover off the tray and they were covered in Parmesan cheese. Well, Parmesan cheese at that point was on my bad list. So I panicked, I decided I couldn't eat anything and I left the party early. And that was just one example of how it impacted my social life. I suddenly became very withdrawn. I didn't wanna hang out with friends or go out to dinner with friends because I was worried about the foods that might be presented to me. I didn't. I wouldn't have my safe foods there anymore. Yeah. It almost became habitual where these were my safe foods at home, I could eat these if I went out in public, I wasn't sure if I was gonna have any options. Um, And it just, it really started to impact me, especially from a social standpoint. I'm an office events coordinator but work potlucks scared me to death. So I it's kind of ironic that I would love planning these types of events, but I couldn't actually attend them. Mm-hmm. So that was just one aspect, just from a social health standpoint. But then physically, it started to take its toll as well because I was so concerned about eating healthy that you know you have to eat a whole lot of celery in order to meet the meat calories to maintain body weight. <laughs> so while I might not be... Pursuing uh, being as skinny as possible, that's what was happening as a side effect because suddenly foods that were once nutritious or good for me ended up on the bad list well then that meant fewer and fewer items that I could actually eat and it caused a significant drop in weight. So um, it's kind of ironic because I think about it right now as it's summertime and I'm sitting here in a room and I feel a little warm. Last summer was a completely different story. Last summer, no matter where I went, I was freezing cold, no matter how hot it was outside because I was losing so much weight, yeah. but in my mind, I thought I was just eating healthy. I thought I was doing the best thing I could. Right. Looking back, I realized just the physical and the social and the mental impacts it did have on my health.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's that's crazy. And were there specific I know you said specific food groups um, were considered like off limits or some were safe for you. Uh, I have for me throughout anorexia, I struggled a lot with being afraid to eat fat. And it took me a long time because I thought if you ate fat, you got fat. Um, and it's usually, um, more dense in calories anyway. So, and hearing all of that, and I I tried to stay away from it. So I can see hints of that trickle into other eating disorders like anorexia as well. So did you have a similar experience too with fat, or maybe it was, you know, carbs all in general?
1: Yep. Yeah. So fat, as soon as you were saying that I was thinking of my two best friends, avocados and peanut butter, both of those ended up on my bad list in no time because of the fat content. And once I welcome them back into my life, it's, it's been great, but yeah, those were foods that I cut out because also it was the same way that was very scary for me. Salt was another thing that was very scary for me when I would cook, I ate, I used very little salt, which anybody that knows anything about a kitchen knows that salt adds flavor. <laughs> so we were eating some very bland things and then also carbs carbs were huge. We live in a society right now where you go online and it's just anti-carb, anti-carb, anti-carb. And like I said, I would have to try to explain to someone that that loaf of bread on the table would give me a panic attack because the carbs just get such a negative, bad rep on social media and in fad diets and in blogs that I just tried to cut out as many as I could. Um, So that meant a lot of sandwiches wrapped in lettuce and and different things like that, but bread was just, the bread was gone. And uh, the one food I think about now is cereal. Cereal is also my best friend, right there with avocado and peanut butter. And I had to cut all of that out of my diet because once again, I was looking at it from a carb standpoint. And um, I just couldn't have those. So I was very concerned about the macros. Um, It seemed like protein was about the only place where it was still felt somewhat safe for me. Um, I would even cut out certain fruits or vegetables because they were too high on the sugar index. And yes, I had a chart saved to my computer, like some sort of keto chart. that ranked all the fruits and vegetables. And um, even those at a certain point ended up on the bad list.
0: Wow. The toll that that can just take on you mentally and emotionally day in and day out. It just, it brings me back to my days as well. And I, I don't know if, if someone took away my bowl of cocoa pebbles now, I don't know what I would do because I just love, I, like you said, I, I tried to stay away from a lot of foods as well, but I loved, I love cereal now, peanut butter is just so, I go through it faster than my husband. Like I just, Uh and like welcoming welcoming them back into my life has just been such a relief and then not worrying about it. But to get to that point where you're enjoying the actual food takes years. Mm -hmm. It takes so
1: long. Oh yeah, it takes a while. And I'm only, I started recovery last July. And so I'm about a year in now. And there's still, it's still very hard to eat some foods. Um, I will, I'll do it, but that's not to say that there's not that anxiety beforehand and that guilt and shame afterwards. Um, it's just, it's a process. And my recovery mantra has been to trust the process, embrace the process, and eventually enjoy the process. Yeah. And I see that happen more and more every day. So it's, it's meal by meal. It's bite by bite literally right now. And it's going to be that way for a while, but that's okay. Because then at night, when I sit down on the couch and I have that bowl of cereal, I realize that that's, that's a pretty big victory and it takes- yeah so
0: yes exactly exactly no you're right I have to remind myself too I mean I would say you know I'm recovered but it's it's never like it's still always there I always attribute recovery to like a light dimmer it's not a switch where it's like it's on it's off like you can turn it off it's always on sometimes it's on full blast other days it's kind of lower but still there and recovery is never going to be a straight line. Like you're going to have some bumps in the road. You're going to go down some detours, but you know, as long as you're honest about it and you have that support group, I think that's what I've found has really kept me healthy. Um, for I'd say the last two, three years I've been at my healthiest coincidentally enough, when I met my husband and was really honest with him, that's when I started noticing my health really stabilize. Um, so that's, it just goes to show how so many factors go into it.
1: Yeah, it's about a lot more than just food. <clears throat> There's a lot more going on. And I think that's, that's a huge key to recovery is to be open and honest about it. Um, we went on vacation a couple of weeks ago and the calorie counts on the menu were gigantic triggers for me. <sighs> and I told my husband about it. I was open and I was honest. It didn't necessarily change it. It didn't turn off the eating disorder yeah. thoughts. But just vocalizing it and getting it out there, it didn't make those thoughts as strong in my head anymore. It gave me the power to conquer through them.
0: Exactly. No, that was the last podcast episode It was all about calorie counts on menus, how it's not only ineffective, but it's just causing more harm for Mm -hmm. those with eating disorders. So I hear you on that. It's it's don't even get me started. It makes me so mad.
1: (laughs) Um, I even make a special effort at home when I'm putting away the groceries to put all the labels to the back of the pantry or the back of the fridge. Yes. I don't want to see those numbers.
0: Yep. Exactly. So that kind of leads into my next one. What are some of the warning signs of orthorexia? Is one of them compulsively checking calorie labels?
1: It is. It is. Um, I mean, like I said, it was like I was a forensic scientist. I would sit there and find out the restaurant that we were going to. First of all, I would spend hours researching healthy restaurants, and then I would look up the menus and dig through the calorie counts and the nutritional information. So that was a huge trigger or a huge kind of warning sign for me. Um, another warning sign I think was when I started to pull away socially, when food became the dominant thing in my life. It was all I could think about 24-7. I would sit on the couch and I was meal planning for the next day and the next week and the next month in my head because I thought that if I could control it as much as possible, then I could eat as healthy as possible. Mm -hmm. I don't think I realized at the time that orthorexia was controlling me. It made me think that I was actually the one who was in control. Um, I think another thing that's huge is when you see somebody start to just cut out food groups left and right like I did. Um, I think it's one thing to want to have a healthy diet and to want to have a healthy lifestyle, but when you're taking it to the extremes and you can't allow yourself to have that occasional slice of cheesecake or that bowl of cereal at night, mm-hmm. that's when there's problems. That's when suddenly healthy eating is becoming an obsession yeah. and orthorexia might be involved.
0: Yeah. And that reminds me, I think it was a couple of years ago when everyone was avoiding gluten like the plague.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and really that's, I don't know how beneficial it is. I don't think there's any science into having a gluten-free diet, except if you have um Crohn's disease or what was the other one? Uh, celiac disease yep. uh, where you're legit, like allergic to it. So that in that sense, it makes sense, but everyone was cutting it out left and right. And usually it was just no carbs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Me included, me included. I was one mm-hmm. of those people who is running from gluten and, you know, you pay the $3 upcharge at the restaurant for the gluten-free bread and all of that. You fall into that. And then I had um, genetic testing done with my nutritionist during recovery. And, you know, I was convinced I was like, it's going to come back and say that I'm gluten intolerant. And it didn't. And it's like, okay, so for years I had convinced myself in my head that it was an enemy when my body processes it the same way it processes everything else. So yeah. And, and we see those trends and we see people, you know, you go out to eat and somebody says, Ooh, I'm going to be bad tonight and have this, or I'm going to be bad and go with the gluten tonight. And it makes you think that if you do have the gluten or you do have dessert or something like that, then you're a bad person. And right. that's not the case there. There should be no good food or bad food. It's food at the end of the day
0: exactly no you're totally right and just the mind like you said can really convince us of one thing or another and that just goes to show and i always wondered you know i i have my phd in neuroscience so i and one reason why i pursued a phd was because i really wanted to figure out why my brain works the way it does you know why do i see food differently why do i see myself in the mirror differently and i eventually didn't research reading disorders specifically but i still try and like read the literature on it and I'm convinced, you know, I wish someone would hook a scan scanner to my brain and just kind of show me a piece of food and show me what my brain is thinking at that moment. Because I, I guarantee you it's different from what, um, quote, normal people think.
1: Um, yeah, exactly. I, that would be really interesting. That could be our next study. I think we should all <laughs> do that. Because I would be, I'd be very interested. It would almost illustrate what's going on inside our heads. Because a lot of times, As people that are battling eating disorders, it's very hard to express to someone else exactly how that food makes you feel. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that I've tried to do in the blog and in the book is to illustrate it because it's a lot more about what an eating disorder feels like than what it looks like. I think for so long, we focused on, you know, skinny female teenage girls, and that's what an eating disorder looks like, but we don't talk about what it feels like what people actually go through. And I think hooking our brains up to that, that would be a really interesting study to (laughs) see because uh, I'm sure our responses would would all differ um, because I think there are spectrums to it all. So I'd be interested to see where we all land.
0: Definitely. And so I think we touched on it a little bit, but there are a few studies out there and several have pointed out that there are some overlapping characteristics between orthorexia, anorexia, obsessive compulsive disorder. So can you elaborate a little bit on that? I know on your blog, you have this really nice Venn diagram that like has all of the commonalities and some of the differences. So I really appreciated that.
1: Yeah, that was something that I really wanted to share. It was from a a study that I was reading. Um, It's it's funny that you mentioned like you went for your PhD to kind of understand what was going on. I took a very academic approach to my recovery as well. I wanted to learn as much that I could. So this was one of the studies that I found. And as somebody who has battled OCD, um, it was very interesting to see how the two were very related to each other. Um, If you think of somebody who has OCD, the stereotype is often they like everything clean, they like everything organized. Well, my addiction was to clean, healthy eating. Um, I worried about contamination, which is the same thing that a lot of uh, people with OCD battle with. Um, there's also the rituals and the routines yeah. and the anxiety of the unknown, um, that something terrible is going to happen if you break from your current pattern. And that's how it was for my diet. If I ate something that was not on my safe list, I thought that that one bite would just destroy me. Yeah. I thought the worst thing would, could, would happen. And that's what a lot of people with OCD have to deal with. Um, When they get the obsessive thoughts, um, they use the compulsions to try to stop the worst thing from happening. And in my case, it was the same thing. I would not eat dessert because I thought dessert would be the worst case scenario and something bad would happen. So it's been very interesting to see how those things relate to each other. Um, I mentioned it earlier about control, how I thought I was in control Mm -hmm. and the whole time orthorexia was in control. And the same thing is true with OCD. We often try to control our surroundings, control our environment to feel safe. Mm -hmm. And no matter what level of control you have, there's always that fear, that anxiety going on inside. And that's what I faced with my eating disorder too. No matter how many foods I cut out and no, no matter how many foods I put on the bad list, there was always that anxiety. It was yeah. just never going to be enough. Right. And so I could totally see how they kind of all relate to each other. I'm a perfectionist by nature. Mm-hmm. I have to do everything 110%. And that's how I was with my diet. When I started cutting foods out, I was going to succeed and I was determined to succeed. And I think a lot of that was my OCD driving me to that. And it almost drove me off the cliff. So, um, yeah, it's, it's very ironic that the whole time I thought I was eating healthy to live longer, but I was actually killing myself.
0: Wow, and it's just, it's all consuming. And like you said earlier, it's all you think about all day long and just nothing else matters in your life. And then your entire world just becomes the eating disorder without you even knowing it. Um, so understanding the warning signs and and some of the trends is is just so important. Unfortunately, though, orthorexia is just it's still not recognized in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which is the manual that healthcare professionals and therapists still use to, to diagnose these diseases. So, do you think hopefully, as society learns more about this eating disorder, that that will change?
1: yeah I do, and that's one of the missions with my blog when I launched my blog is I so badly want it to be recognized in the DSM. and um, I think it will be one day as more and more of us speak up about it as that we're able to do more research and more studies on it. And I think we're going to be very surprised by the amount of people who deal with orthorexia, um, maybe not to the extreme extent that I was at, but I think on some some level we see it, Just evident with the fad diets that are going on and people become so obsessed with the diet that they're following that they can't allow themselves to have a bad day or a cheat day or they start avoiding social interactions because they want to stick to their diet and i think once we study it more we're going to realize that it is kind of that spectrum i was talking about where some people have just a couple orthorexic tendencies while others of us take it to an extreme. And I think that's one reason why it's been so hard to get formal diagnostic criteria yet, because it's different in every single person.
0: Yes,
1: And I mean, the same can be said about any eating disorder. It impacts everybody differently, but at least with some of the ones that have been classified now, there's general groundwork. (laughs) We're still working to establish that with orthorexia. But I think over time, as more stories are heard and more research is done, it will be recognized as the eating disorder that it is.
0: Yeah. And it's your voice is just so powerful. And I think that's one reason why I really wanted to create this podcast was to help raise awareness about eating disorders in general about some of the nuances that we don't know about yet. You know, dig into some of those layers and and things that, you know, we, we heard about but don't really know about. Um, I want to put voices and 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 faces to those names and those labels um, and, and really talk, have an honest conversation about how we can navigate recovery in a world that really tells us not to, you know, they always tell us what to look like, what to think, what to, what to say, what not to say, and and how, what size you need to be. And it's, it can be really hard and overwhelming. And I had the idea over the pandemic, you know, but then my imposter syndrome got the better of me and I was like, no one's going to listen. No, one's really going to care. And I didn't do it until just this past May. So over a year later. Um, So it's, It's just, it's great to have people like you on here that bring a voice to this.
1: Yeah, well, thank you, thank you. And I'm so glad that you started doing this because these are the conversations that we need to be having. And um, when I started my blog, I was the same way. I was like, okay, I don't know if people are actually gonna listen. I don't know <laughs> if it's gonna impact anybody. And then I got to thinking, I would rather have one person hear my story that needed to hear my story than get 5,000 likes. So that's why I'm so glad that we're having these types of conversations because all it takes is that one set of years that needs to hear this. And it can help them reclaim their lives in the same way that I've been working on and you've been working on. And um, yeah, it's storytelling is such a powerful tool. And I think we need to have more of it.
0: Yeah, exactly. I love that. I'm going to transition into another major question that I had for you, and that's men with eating disorders. And it's more common than one would think. Um, But there remains such a massive stigma around males speaking out around this issue. So could you share your thoughts on this and, and how you're using your story to help try and change the narrative?
1: Yeah, so that was that's a big thing in starving for survival in my book that I really wanted to touch upon that this is a man's journey with orthorexia because men just don't talk about it. We're raised as being the types that keep our emotions to ourselves. We don't talk about mental health at all. We don't talk about emotions because we think the strongest man in the room is the one who can lift the most weight, act the toughest, act the most macho. And I did that for a very long time. I suppressed a lot of pain and a lot of hurt that I had felt after losing my parents at younger ages and i kept it all inside and it helped to fuel the eating disorder it caused a lot of the destructive behaviors and um it was because i wanted to act tough. i wanted to be the man of the house and i think that a lot of other guys out there feel the same way they just they don't want to share their emotions and as a result It gets built up over time and destructive things happen, whether that be uh, an addiction to drugs or alcohol or an addiction to clean eating, like in my case, eating disorders develop. Um, There's a lot of guys out there who I think are struggling and they're struggling in silence. And I've made it my mission to just share my story in hopes that maybe other guys will reach out and other guys will realized that the strongest man in the room it has nothing to do with weights it has to do with wearing your heart on your sleeve and sharing your emotions opening up about your problems and the numbers are there the numbers show um high rates of suicide among men they show high rates of eating disorders among men but i would be really scared actually to see the total numbers if we had men be fully transparent, I think it's a lot higher than we would even imagine because there's just so many of us who for so long have been conditioned by society to suppress rather than express.
0: Exactly. I was reading a study, I think it was in 2014 that actually said the, the rates of death in men with eating disorders is actually higher because they're not diagnosed until much later. And by that time it could be too late. And that just really struck me in the heart. I was like, this is the problem with our society is that we're told, number one, you know, it's not good to have mental health and speak out about it. But two, as men, you're just, you have to be even more internal, internalized feelings and and not allowed to speak out about it. So that just killed me.
1: That was part of the reason why it took me so long to get help, because in my head, I had been taught that eating disorders happen to females and they happen to usually young, skinny females. And I didn't think I fit the bill. And even when I reached out for help, I didn't know who to turn to because we look for resources and they mostly cater to young anorexic or bulimic females. Yeah. So as a guy battling an eating disorder, I even asked my primary care doctor, who, who should I talk to? Who do I reach out to? Because I've got this unspecified eating disorder. And he said, just go online and look. He didn't even have a referral for me. Oh my gosh. And I've seen that play out now time and time again, where even our healthcare workers aren't always sure where guys can go. And I think that really just prolongs getting help and makes us feel like we're not worthy of help. There were definitely days where I felt like, okay, I'm just not worthy of help. There's other people out there who are much sicker than me. And I wasn't able to realize just how sick I was. And um, I think that's why we've got to have these conversations so that men can get the help they need earlier on, because I was getting to the point where I was at risk of health complications, of physical health complications. And it probably would have only been a couple more months and it wouldn't have been a good ending to my story. So I'm so glad that I was finally able to reach out when I did. Yeah. Yeah that's
0: why we need champions too in the healthcare industry we need people doctors that are willing to speak out about and say hey this is a problem and eating disorders don't discriminate against skin color gender sexual identity whatever it is it can happen to anyone
1: Exactly, exactly. And that was one one thing that I was concerned about when I launched my blog is I was like, okay, I can speak up. I'm a guy with an eating disorder. But then I worried about getting stereotyped into the fact that I'm a gay guy. And I was like, okay, well, there's probably straight men out there who are battling eating disorders, but they're going to say, oh, that's just for gay guys and for women. Right. And that's been a very fine line that I've tried to tread this entire time since launching my blog is to make it known that it doesn't matter about your sexual orientation or any of that. An eating disorder can happen to any of us. Yes. And um, that's that's the message that I've been trying to get out there.
0: Exactly. And it's just so important. And I know we're um, closing out here a little bit. So I have one final question for you. And that is, what is your advice to someone out there that may be struggling with an eating disorder and maybe it's, they're listening to this and they're like, oh, it sounds like I have orthorexia. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is your advice, particularly for the men out there?
1: Speak up. <laughs> speak up has been my big thing. Rather than man up, it's time to speak up. Yes. And, um, you know, if you don't have anybody in your life that you feel comfortable speaking with. Um, they can find me through my blog and speak to me, talk to me about it. It's amazing how much more powerful you feel when you share your story with somebody else. It takes away the power from those eating disorder thoughts. So if you're sitting there listening to this and your mind is constantly thinking about food, you've got anxiety around food, it seems like it's starting to consume you rather than you consume it, speak up tell somebody because you're not alone. Um, There's that stigma out there, but that's all it is. It's just a stigma. It's not the truth. It's not the real world. So ignore it, talk about it, tell somebody. And like I said, if you don't know anybody, you can find me because I'm always here to listen.
0: Yes. I love that. I love that so much. And I'll include your blog in the episode description too and point everyone to, to your blog, your upcoming book. I'm so excited for that. Your story is just so powerful. And like you said, there is strength. You find strength when you do speak out about it. Um, You don't think you will when you're thinking about doing it, but even doing this podcast has really helped reinforce some of the, the inner insecurities that I had and, and just kind of tuck them away and like, you're better than this. Like, it's actually a good thing that you're doing this and you're out there. Um, So it's good for everyone to just be open and honest. It's just so important.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it's conversations like this that even a year into recovery, they're so therapeutic. And I know you're probably feeling the same way Just, just to be able to talk about it. It just, it feels really good on the inside. Sure, there's nerves beforehand. Sure, you worry that somebody's gonna judge you but when it's all said and done, it feels really good to get it out.
0: Exactly. And Who cares what people think? So that's what I still worry about. I worry about what other people think. And that's, oh, yeah. I think everyone does to some extent, but like you said, like at the end of the day, you know, what is best for you and you have to be selfish sometimes, like what is best for your health mentally, emotionally, socially, and, and pursue that route. And don't let the other eating disorder thoughts kind of take over.
1: Exactly. Exam. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you again so much, Jason. I had such a good time. I've learned so much from you and I, and I hope to continue learning and I hope to see orthorexia in the DSM soon. Um, and that'll be largely in part because of your advocacy and your voice.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah. And that day that it happens, we'll get back together and have a big celebration. So uh, yeah, this was, this was an amazing conversation. And just thank you for all that you do for uh, giving people like me a platform to speak and for sharing your own story because you're an inspiration to all of us. So I really appreciate this. Oh, thank you.
0: I really meant it when I said don't touch my cocoa bubbles I had some before recording this and I mean it I can really demolish a bowl of cocoa pebbles I mean the milk turns chocolatey it's just like it gets I don't know like I know there's a big debate about like crunchy cereal versus mushy cereal I'm all about the like mushy it's just so good anyways now I'm getting hungry again I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jason he's just I was re-listening to it, and his honesty, and his and his bravery, and his vulnerability with me, just it really inspired me, and it helped me feel safer. I don't know if that makes sense to anybody out there, but I feel safer in voicing what I'm thinking and feeling because we can often feel so alone when we're dealing with these eating disorder thoughts. And you know, recovery, like I mentioned, is it's not a straight line, and you're gonna go through some bumps in the road, and you have to be kind to yourself, and remember, you know, that's okay. We're human and we're going to make mistakes, but the key point is acknowledging it, being aware of it, and then speaking up and, and being honest about it with someone who can then help you get back on the right track. I think that's the key point. And for me, that's my husband and my therapist, and I really need those people in my life to, to hold me accountable, and I think everyone needs that strong support group. Um, so when you feel down and, and low about yourself, that you won't let it get so far as you engage in these harmful behaviors or these these negative thoughts and feelings that can later lead to something bad that you know is just going to make you feel worse and, and it's going to continue on and on and on. And like Jason said, I really appreciated when he said, to trust the process and then eventually enjoy the process. And it's true. We're human, and even though we didn't really ask for this eating disorder – let's just go through recovery the best we can and what better way by that than just to help each other and I think what Jason is doing with his story with this book that he's writing and really encouraging other men out there to speak up um, that is the biggest thing you can do as a man and, and as a human being to just really speak up and use your voice for the greater good and that's what I hope this podcast will eventually become as well. So if you haven't learned anything else today, you know, there's there's a lot out there. There's a lot to unpack and there's so much more to explore. Um, but I hope that you always remember That your worth and your identity is not tied to anything extrinsic. It's not tied to the number of likes on your social media. It's not tied to that number on the scale or that number that's sitting in the inside of your jeans. Just rip that number out because who cares and it doesn't matter. And anyway, clothing companies don't even have a standard sizing guide anyway. It changes every freaking year from company to company. It just enrages me. It doesn't matter. And You matter and your voice matters and you deserve to take up that space and to use your voice and your personality for good and to be that person that you know you are deep down. And if you need help, please reach out to me. I'm always available. I have my email linked into the episode description because I know how it feels to hit rock bottom. I know how alone it can feel, but you are not alone. Um, And like Jason said that, you know, we need to, we need to be in this together And I hope you reach out to me if if you are ever in need or, or you just don't know where to go next. And if you can also do me a favor to rate and subscribe and to share this podcast, that would, that would help other people discover what Picture Blurfect is all about. Um, And I hope that more people will really listen to this message and and be excited for, for for this journey that we're all going to take together. And with that, I guess I'll talk to you guys next week. Remember to be kind to yourself and take care. I'm not afraid of